today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. And it comes to purify, to illumine, to transform, and to inflame our lives with this holy fervor. That's the passion that John had. And I believe that it's the passion that all believers have available to us today. And maybe you're living your life today and you say, you know, there is no power, there is no passion, there is no flame burning within me then maybe what you need to do is have that time before the Lord and you cry out to the Lord. Have you ever had a birthday cake with a candle that you just can't blow out? No matter how hard you try, that particular candle just wanted to burn forever. Today, this is what Pastor David will teach us about John. John had the candle inside that would not go out. His light was forever on fire for the Lord and no one could blow it out. How about you? Is the Holy Spirit inside of you on fire for Jesus? The Lord is looking for passionate people. Are you ready to light up a dark world? Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, A Passion and a Message. enters into our life. It's God's Spirit that takes that Word and brings it into our life, revealing our own heart while it reveals the heart of Almighty God. And then we realize, man, I need to get my life right with Him. Beloved, if there's no conviction ever in your life, then one of two things. You're either not listening or the message just isn't coming in. Because every one of us need it. Every one of us. Last last week, somebody told me, he says, can I see your hands? I said, well, yeah. He said, well, they ought to be red because you've been slapping me around all morning this morning. <laughs> I said, believe me, as I, as I study these things, as I read and as I prepare, I, I get slapped around plenty myself. And the Lord takes and convicts my own heart as I, because how can I come and, and, and preach things unless the Lord has first taken these things and made it real in my own life? And I realize, you know what? How dare I even come and and speak the things of God, unless God has first spoken in my heart, in my life. When messages are directed more to make people feel good, to give people a positive outlook, to speak of the style or the move of the culture, how can that really be spoken with the passion and with the Spirit of Almighty God? The Spirit of God has to come alive first in the heart of the speaker. And that's whether it be the preacher, the Bible study leader, or you as an individual, as you share the truth of your faith in Christ, has to move there first. And only then are you able to move in the power of the Spirit to be able to fully proclaim the truth of God's message, the truth of what God's doing in your life. John was a man whose message 
his style, and his spirit were different than all of the others of his time. And so, as those people who were in expectation, they reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. But John made it very clear to them that he wasn't the Christ. And in Mark's version of this portion of Scripture, Mark tells us that John proclaimed to the people, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John knew, John understood what his position was. He was and I'll say the word simply the forerunner. As dynamic, as purposeful, as needful as that job was, John knew that, no, he's the forerunner. He's not the Christ himself. He was to prepare the way. He was to get the people's hearts ready to be able to receive from the kingdom of God. He had no false ideas, no false concepts about his place and his purpose. His purpose wasn't to build up his own ministry. He was pointing the people to the soon arrival of Messiah. You need to understand for John, it wasn't some false humility. Oh, you know, I'm just nothing. Uh, he's so much more than me. You know, I'm just a worm. I'm nothing. No, it was a real, true understanding of his purpose and of his place. But in understanding his purpose and his place, he also knew the purpose and the place of the coming of Messiah. And he says, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest slave within the household when it comes and compares to the coming of Messiah. He says, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to loose his sandals. It was the place of the lowest slave within the household to greet the master of the home, to loose his sandals, and to wash his feet as he comes in the door. That was the lowest slave. And John says, I'm not even worthy of that. One other thing that ought to remind you of, remember in the upper room on the night that Jesus was betrayed, just before his crucifixion, what did Jesus do? He humbled himself. He took the form, not just of a servant, but as the lowest of servants and wiped the disciples' feet. What a heart, what an attitude. John fully realized the significance and the importance of his own ministry. But he also understood that compared to the coming Messiah, he wasn't even worthy to be that lowest slave. As powerful as John's ministry was, as important as it was to the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, remember, it's the one that says there's going to be one, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Still, all of that, there was no self-importance that got in the way of John's life, pointing clearly to the Savior. And how beloved, how we need to understand that ourselves. No self-importance should ever get in our way. There ought to be a humility in every one of our walks. And I don't care what position or place you are in life. Whether you are, you're on the uh, up and outs or the down and outs, okay? Or somewhere in the middle. Our lives ought to be able and willing to minister that truth to anyone and everyone that comes our way. We ought to be able to be a demonstration of the heart and mind of Christ. We ought to be a demonstration of the truth that our lives have been changed by the gospel. Through all of that, John worked in that ministry of baptizing people, but John's ministry was, in that baptism, he knew it was uh, 
you might say the phrase a, a preparatory baptism, okay? A preparatory baptism. Simply getting the people's hearts ready and right to receive from the Christ. What did John say? He says, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. One of the commentators of the New Testament, a fellow by the name of Spence, I like what he says here on this. He says, John could do no more with his words and symbol baptism than to rouse the people to struggle after repentance and a change of heart and life, while Messiah would furnish to men the influence from above that was really needed in order to purify their hearts and their lives. John would procure and the Messiah would procure and pour out the influence of the Holy Spirit. You see, as John ministered to them, he's simply saying, you know what? If your heart is ready, if you're ready to repent, come and be baptized in these waters in preparation of the one that's coming, getting your heart ready, knocking down those mountains in our lives, making the path straight within our lives that Messiah might be able to enter with his truth and with the message of the hope of the gospel in our lives. John knew his was preparatory. But when the Messiah came, he was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And some say, look at that. Well, what is this baptism of fire thing? What, what does that mean? Well, some feel that it, that it deals with this idea of the, the, the chaff burning with unquenchable fire. That they say that that's what the baptism of fire is. But I, I disagree on a couple of points. And I believe that what's happening to the chaff is what's happening with non-believers. And I believe that this baptism that John is speaking of, that, that this baptism is not a punishment. The baptism of fire isn't a disciplinary action. It's a purifying one. John didn't say that some of you would be baptized with the Spirit, but all you bad guys, you're going to be baptized with fire. No, he's speaking to all of them. He says, no, you, he is coming and he will baptize you. If he was from the South, he would have said y'all because he wants to include all of them. He's going to baptize y'all with the spirit and with fire. The thought of the idea is that being baptized by him, by Christ, would again work within our hearts and lives, both that work of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, but also that purifying work within our lives. You guys understand that fire, when it's contained, it's a good thing. It brings warmth. It brings comfort. It's useful for many things. But when that same fire is taken out of the containment, it brings destruction and it brings death. The baptism of fire is a good thing. It's that purifying thing. It's that thing that burns the dross and the garbage out of our life. But it also gives us the fire of passion for the work of God. Christopher Woodsworth, a preacher back in the 1800s, he wrote about this baptism of fire, stating that the fire was synonymous with the work of the Holy Spirit within the lives of believers. And it comes to purify, to illumine, to transform, and to inflame our lives with this holy fervor. That's the passion that John had. And I believe that it's the passion that all believers have available to us today. And maybe you're living your life today and you say, you know, there is no power, there is no passion, there is no flame burning within me. Then maybe what you need to do is have that time before the Lord and you cry out to the Lord, Lord, baptize me fresh with your Holy Spirit. 
Oh, if you're a believer, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. There's no doubt about that. He is the seal of your salvation. But that baptism of the Spirit, I believe, can happen multiple times within our lives. Whenever we drain out of that passion, whenever we've been beaten up by the world so much that there's no longer any, any power within our lives, any passion, any zeal, any fire within our lives. It's that time that you and I need to come back and say, Lord, I need that fresh work of the Spirit in my life. I need to be baptized fresh and new within my life. John spoke these words to those that were hearing, but also to those that weren't receiving his words. He explained that when Christ comes, he's going to be like that farmer, as he says in verse 17 here in Luke. He says his winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Not the baptism of fire. No, this is the destructive fire. The picture that he gives is, is of the farmer. and The way that it was in those days, the, the winnowing fan was, was a basket shaped sort of like a, a bowl with one end of it blown out. And as they harvested the wheat, they would bring it into the threshing floor and dump it all in a big pile. And the farmer or his helpers, whoever it would be, would take that winnowing fan and dig it into the wheat, lift up a basket full of it, and begin to shake it and to shake it hard, to break the wheat away from the chaff and then they would throw it up into the air and the breeze that would come along would carry that chaff away that outside covering of the wheat and then the wheat itself would fall back down on the pile and they would do that over and over and over again shaking that wheat until the chaff is broken free throwing it up in the air and allowing the wind to take that chaff away until eventually there was a big pile at one end of the room or the area where they were doing the threshing, a big pile of the chaff that they would rake away and they would burn because it was of absolutely no value at all. And then there on the threshing floor would be the wheat able to be used. This is a picture of what John gives to the whole audience. Christ is going to be that one who's able to correctly sift the wheat from the chaff. The true believers, the wheat, from, with, with repentant hearts, with a desire to follow him. They're going to be gathered together with him. While that chaff, the unbelievers, the, the wicked, the charlatans, the hypocrites, the word says he will burn with an unquenchable fire. Verse 18, it says, and with many other exhortations, John preached to the people. Can you imagine being in that audience with John? John preaching there. I guarantee you, nobody fell asleep. I guarantee you, nobody was looking up in the sky saying, oh, that's a cool form of clouds. And I think that one, ah, that's in the shape of a rabbit. I see that. And no, I think when John was preaching, everybody pretty well dialed directly in. Again, the message, the mannerisms, the style, but more than anything else, the heart, the passion, and the truth of that message that he was giving. His words, I believe, pierce the hearts of everyone. We don't know how long John, John's ministry was, for sure. We don't know for sure when exactly he started ministering. If he waited till he was 30, then he only started about six months prior to this time here. Because we find out just uh, in a few passages later in Luke that Jesus is now 30 and we know that John is about six months older than Jesus was. He may have started earlier than that. We don't know. But one thing we do know, it wasn't 
very long because again, he ministered long enough to be able to step on the toes of a lot of powerful people, people in authority. Verse 19 tells us, but Herod the tetrarch being rebuked by him, by John, concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. We spoke about this a few weeks ago. Herod divorced his current wife in order to go and steal the wife of his brother Philip, bring her in to be his wife. I guess he felt it was immoral to stay married to one woman and go get another one. Uh, but it was okay to go steal his brother's wife. Uh, again, just the, the wickedness of that. And John in his ministry wasn't afraid to speak about the wickedness and the evilness of the government that was ruling over them because he was speaking the truth, not in a slanderous way, not in a way other than speaking the truth. And beloved, we, not only as pastors, but we as individuals need to be willing to speak the truth. But as I said earlier, speaking the truth with an understanding that there may be consequences for that. There may be consequences for speaking the truth when we see wickedness reigning and ruling in high places and we speak against that. But are we going to be hampered? Are we going to be closed down? Are we going to be fearful of man or the government if God's word is proclaiming the truth? Woe be to us if we do get that way. Because I believe that at that point in time, we are in a desperate, desperate situation. John was not afraid of the power of man because he was driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so John continually spoke out against the sinfulness of Herod, even after he was arrested. And we won't go into the story this morning, but understand that even while he was arrested, Herod would bring John to him and listen to John preach. And John was continually saying, but the life that you're living, Herod, is wrong because you're married to your brother's wife and all that. And so Herod would put him back in prison. And then again, the one time that he eventually, well, I'll just shorten it up. He executed John the Baptist, took his head off. Why? Because John would not cease telling the truth. And so Herod's wife, Herodias, asked for his head on a platter. And Herod, being moved by a passion other than the passion of God, brought John's head to her to present it to her. Two men driven by different passions. One, a passion for the things of the Lord. Another, a passion of the flesh. John, a man with a message, with a style, and with a spirit different than all the others of that time. Only here for a short time. His ministry wasn't long, but it was powerful. He fulfilled that prophecy of that one crying out in the wilderness. Some listened, they heard, and they repented. And they prepared their hearts for the coming of Messiah. Some listened, they heard, and they rejected, in essence, sealing their hearts for that unquenchable fire. Others listened, heard, and rejected totally and rebelled against it, trying to quiet the voice of John the Baptist. It may have quieted John, but his voice and his message continues on even 2,000 years later. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says what a mighty man John was. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this about John. For this is he, John is the one for whom it's written. 
Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty powerful recommendation. I have a LinkedIn account, okay, because people said that I needed to get a LinkedIn account. And different people have asked to connect with me through LinkedIn. If you don't know what LinkedIn is, you are blessed among all people, okay. (laughs) I have people that are part of my LinkedIn account who I do not know, and they send recommendations to my LinkedIn account. Oh, he is this or he is that. And I'm thinking, you don't know me from Adam. Why are you recommending me for anything? So if you're on my LinkedIn account and I never recommend you for anything, understand it's because I I just don't do that anymore. But if Jesus recommends you, now that's a recommendation. As he says, among those born of women, there's not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But listen to what he says beyond that. He says, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. You think, how does that work? If John, if John is the greatest born of women, but those of the kingdom of heaven, they're, they're even greater than that. How does that work? John stood on the threshold of grace. John never saw the cross. John never saw the sacrifice of Christ for the forgiveness of man's sin. John proclaimed and declared the coming of Messiah. Did he know how all of that was to come together? I doubt it because even those that walked with Christ for three and a half years, they didn't know how it was all going to come together until after the fact. Perhaps John believed that in the midst of that, yes, he is the Messiah, he is the Savior that comes from God, and he's going to save Israel. But I don't believe that John understood or knew half of what you and I know now Because we're now able to look from the viewpoint of looking back 2,000 years ago and seeing the fullness of the ministry of Christ. And from our viewpoint, we now see this great panorama of God's plan, a great view that even John didn't have. We're able to see a more complete picture than even the prophets of old. We see that completed work of the cross. And yet, you know what? We still don't see the total completed plan of God, do we? Do we? Okay, I just want to make sure you're still here. Because God is still working. God is still active. God is still involved. God still has a completed plan that's going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. But what a great view we have. Let me ask you, are you seeing this view through eyes of one who's redeemed or through the eyes of one who is in rebellion? Are you wheat or are you chaff? Are you destined for that purifying fire of the work of the Holy Spirit or that unquenchable fire of the wrath of God? The words of John the Baptist are still true today. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Will we hear a trumpet call this afternoon? I don't know. The biggest question is, is are you ready for it to happen? Are you ready that at any moment the Savior might call us into account? My hope and prayer is that everyone here this morning, everyone listening, whether it's radio or on the internet or here in this service this morning, that you're ready and you're living with an expectation, an anticipation that, Lord, when you come, I still fail. I understand that. I still stumble, I know that, but my heart is yours, and I look forward to your coming. Open.
for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.